0: So our God has a big question in our text today. Not just a big question for Moses, but it's just as much a big question for us this morning. I want to take you to the uh, Middle East here. You can see Egypt in the very top left of your uh, map there uh, in Israel is right there in our text today, and they are in a real bind, literally. They have now been in the nation of Egypt for 400 years, and in just 400 years, God has grown them, just as he told Abraham he would do, from from a family of about 70 to maybe two, even three million people strong. And so, naturally, Egypt is getting very fearful of these numerous Israelites. And so the Pharaoh points really cruel, harsh taskmasters over them. And they start to make them work with brick and mortar and and. Ironically, God still blesses them and they keep growing. And so ultimately, Pharaoh gives an order that every male baby, Hebrew, should be drowned in the Nile River. And so God's people are in Egypt just crying out bitterly. And then looking back at the map several hundred miles away, near the bottom of that tip between the two forks of the Red Sea, Or even on the other side, there's a debate there, several hundred miles away, God appears to Moses at Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, in a burning bush. And God reveals to Moses his plan to get his people out of Egypt and northward to the promised land. And here's the thing, God reveals to Moses, you're the one I've chosen to do it and you think that Moses was filled with excitement was Moses filled with eagerness great God let's do it was he doing cartwheels and handstands (laughs) far from it we see Moses the human not Moses the hero as Moses is filled with all of these doubts And reluctancies and inadequacies and excuses of why the God of the universe must have the wrong man to do this job. And so, in chapters three and four, Moses actually gives God five objections to why he's not the one. His first question is God, who am I that I should do this for you? And then his second objection is, who are you? Who should I tell the Israelites is behind this? And our text is going to focus on number three. God, if I go to Israel, they're not going to believe me that you really appeared to me. And then Moses, of course, pulls out his IEP and says, but God, (laughs) I am very slow of speech and tongue. And finally, Moses just blatantly says, God, can you please just send somebody else, please? Let's look at number three a little closer in our text. Moses answers, God, behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice. For Israel and their leaders will say, the Lord didn't appear to you, Moses. And so the Lord says back to Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. See, Moses for 40 years was a shepherd tending his father-in-law's flock in Midian. And so it's natural in our text today that Moses, as he is before this burning bush, would just have a tool of his trade, just a wooden tree branch. This is a picture of a shepherd's staff from early centuries. See, this was not a magic wand This was not some kind of James Bond gadget that had some kind of nifty thing that would come out of it. It was just from a branch of a tree. But God asked Moses, What's that in your hand? A staff. And look how God continues. So God said to Moses, throw your staff on the ground. And so Moses threw his staff on the ground, and behold, it became a serpent. And Moses ran, (laughs) right? See, Moses, being a wilderness man, knew that when you see a snake, you run right this word for run or flee here is the hebrew word news and it literally means to run for your life you get out of dodge you run as fast as you can you hightail it out of there the same word is used of young joseph at the end of genesis when Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with him, and and he says no, and then he takes off running. The 17-year-old takes off running, and he runs away so fast that when she reaches out to grab his garment, it rips a piece and leaves it in her hand. The same word is used of the Israelite army. When they see the undefeated Goliath of Gath step forward and challenge them, they run for their lives. And so Moses today in our text does what any sensible person would do when they see a snake close by, you run as fast as you can in another direction. He doesn't have to stop and see if it's poisonous or not. He doesn't have to see if it's one he recognizes from the wilderness around him or not. It's a snake. I run. Can you kind of see the smirk on God's face? Having a little fun with this new prophet of his? I mean, why a serpent? Why didn't God turn it into a bunny rabbit? When he threw it to the ground, <laughs> a snake? But God's just getting started with Moses, right? With God, there's always more. So now look what God tells him to do next. Moses is on the run, and God says, Moses, stop. Now I want you to stretch out your hand and grasp it by the tail. <laughs> Okay, but God, I could think of a hundred other commands I would do for you right now, but now you want me to go grab it by the tail? And this word grasp here in the Hebrew, a cause means to grab something really tight. This word is used for Jacob. When he comes out of the womb after his twin brother Esau, we're told that Jacob is grasping Esau's heel tightly. The word here is used of Samson and his divine strength when he goes to the big massive city steel gates and he grabs hold and he lifts them right out of the ground with its bars and everything, and Samson sets it on his shoulder and carries it to the top of a mountain. The same word is used for the Philistines and the Moabites and the Edomites when they hear what the God of Israel did to Egypt. Fear, trembling, grips their hearts. And in a cool way, the same word, a cause, David uses it in the Psalms twice, of God's right hand reaching out and taking hold of you and never letting go. Moses, now I want you to stretch out your hand and grab that serpent tight by its tail. And in an amazing act of obedience and faith to this command, we're told that Moses sends out his hand and he's strong with it, and it becomes a staff again in his palm. And God says through this sign, Israel and their elders will believe that it is the Lord God, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who really appeared to you and is sending you, Moses, to go get his people out. It brings me to a pretty amazing point. In a nation, a pagan nation where snakes were worshipped, and Pharaoh would have even had an emblem of a serpent on his head, not only were the incantations in Egypt many of them devoted to trying to control and have power over snakes, but even over snake bites. So when God sent Moses back to Egypt with this sign, he would have immediately had attention and credibility. But not just for the Israelites and their leaders, but for the biggest skeptic, Moses himself. That this is really God. And I stand behind you, Moses. I want to come back to God's big question in our text. What's in your hand? Because even if it's just a wooden shepherd staff with God, it will always be do and with this very staff moses would go before pharaoh and throw it on the ground and once again it would become a serpent and moses would go to the edge of the nile and strike the water and the nile would turn to blood and later moses would strike the dust of the earth with this staff and gnats would cover man and beast. And later, Moses would stand at the edge of the Red Sea, and he would raise this staff, and the waters of the sea would part. And later, Moses would take this staff and strike a rock at Rephidim, and enough water would come out of that rock to hydrate two to three million Israelites plus all of their flocks and herds. You see, with God, whatever is in your hand, even a tree branch will always do. That is why Elsewhere in scripture, with just a tent peg and a hammer, J.L. takes down Sisera, the highest commander of the Canaanite army. And that is why Samson, in another display of strength, with just the jawbone of a donkey in his hand, would take down a thousand Philistine enemies. And a young shepherd boy from Bethlehem would take a sling and he would defeat that undefeated Goliath of Gath. And the widow from Zarephath with just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil would be able to feed the prophet of the Lord Elijah and her only son for weeks on end. And in our gospel reading, a boy with just five loaves and a couple of fish would be able to feed over 5,000 men, women, and children and have 12 baskets filled left over. And that is why a carpenter from Nazareth with just a cross beam and some nails would save you and me from all of our sins because with our god whatever is in your hands will always always do so saint peter what is in your hand What are your spiritual gifts or gifts? What are your inner passions? What are your natural abilities and talents? What are your natural resources? What is your intellect? What is the combination of your life experiences? Maybe... You are in a season of life right now where you have time or you have the gift of hosting or leading or encouraging or the gift of listening or cleaning or praying or building or maybe it's baking, singing, playing, visiting, designing, gardening, financing, cooking, teaching, repairing, driving, organizing, fixing, writing, speaking, Maybe it's even an illness. Whatever is in your hand with our God, it will always do. He can use it for His purposes and glory. And I know like Moses we are tempted to have our own fill of doubts and inadequacies and maybe sometimes we think to ourselves only people with really remarkable skills and brilliant minds are useful to god Or we might think to ourselves, if only I were more outgoing, or I were more social, or I were more gifted, or I were more articulate, then God could really use me for his ends. Baloney. Baloney. Because we worship the God who is bigger than all of our reservations and inadequacies. And with our God, it doesn't depend upon us or our abilities. It's not about what we have or don't have in our hands. In Jesus Christ, He works through us. In Jesus Christ, He is our sufficiency. He is our adequacy. So that with God, whatever we have, all that we are will always do. I brought some inanimate objects with me this morning this is a really cheap playground football and in my hands this cheap football isn't even worth face value but if you took this and put it in the hands of Tom Brady it's amazing Or this microphone. If I have this microphone, (laughs) you don't want me to sing in it. But if you take this same microphone and put it in the hands of Carrie Underwood or Kelly Clarkson, it's beautiful. Or this hockey stick. In my hands, you probably don't even want me on your floor hockey team. But if you take this same stick and put it in the hands of someone like Patrick Kane, it's marvelous and graceful. Friends, if this is true with just human hands... Imagine all that you are and have in the hands of the God of the universe. I want to show you the last verse here of chapter 4, and something stands out. God disappears from the burning bush and look at what moses does moses took his wife and sons and had them ride on a donkey and they started to make their way back to the land of egypt and moses took the staff what you see now it's not just a staff but from here forth it's the staff of God. And with God, <laughs> even this will always do. Will we do the same? Will we take all that we have and are, whatever is in our hand? And give it to God for his use. I want to close with a couple of here in practice questions. One, just take a few moments to take a simple inventory. What's in your hand? And then secondly, how can you or maybe even how will you give it to God for his use and even encourage you to get specific and maybe give one or two ways this week that you can take something in your hand and lift it up to God for his use go ahead and have that discussion time with those you are with now